Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Dusek, and with us today is Tim Richards. Tim is the author of five books, The Richards and Barry Families, Ship Happens, A Tiger Cruise Tale, Warm Water, A Collection of Memories, Buggy, A Fictional Account of Generational Family Abuse, and Afternoon Tomatoes, Accessible Poetry. His poetry has appeared in the Moving Force Journal, Common Threads, the Hessler Street Fair Poetry Anthology, the Cuyahoga County Public Library Annual Reblog, 30 Days Read and Write, and more. His prose, poetry, and photography have been published in the Fredericksburg Literary and Art Review. Richards is an active speaker and performance poet in the Cleveland area and has appeared as a featured speaker several times. Tim, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy, for inviting me. Could you please start us with a poem? Yes, thank you. So you had asked, uh, is there anything about myself? So uh, I, I wrote this poem in Florida and I put it on Facebook and this friend of mine, Dick Lardy, he, uh, I, I was stressed out because I didn't think my poetry was, well, it didn't sound like other poets at the time. And so uh, I wrote a poem, A Poet I Am Not. And I put it on Facebook and my friend Dick Lardy instantly shot back and his response was this. Write the poems, a close friend said, that others decide what you write is meaningful to them. I pondered his response to the question I had asked. Though thankful, still I felt depressed. I wondered why my writing such a task, why my poems have empty meaning, why am I so unexpressed? Rudy now and overwrought, weighted down in shallow thought, self-criticism sets my doubtful mind. But when I read the poems of Barbara, George, and John, of Lynn and Ray and other poets of the like, I feel a sense of meaning in my poetry that I write. So why am I so doubtful? How high the bar I raise? What motivates my inner thoughts? What is it that I search for? Admiration and self-praise? A self-indulgent sense of rhyming self-delight? If not, what am I saying? Is there substance in my word? Or am I just another rhymer yearning to be heard? And so I say, since I'm a rhymer, there's got to be some rhyme in my thoughts. But if my words ring hollow, then a poet I am not. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because not only is it from early on in your writing career, it, it, it's, I think it's important to talk about the insecurities that newer writers feel and breaking into the fold and being good enough. Do you feel good enough now? Yes, I do. Um, I've written now, uh, since 2018, uh, 150 poems. And so I've, uh, honed myself on the on the experience of writing my thoughts. Uh, I've spoken so many times. I've gone to every available open mic session uh, in Northeast Ohio uh, just to, well, to beat out the words uh, to make myself feel more comfortable and to make sure that I can hear the echo of myself in my poetry as I speak publicly. Yeah, 
No, I can attest that I see you everywhere in Cleveland. If I go to an event, Tim Richards is there and he's doing it. Um, what 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 is your what is your opinion on the Cleveland scene up here? Well, I gotta tell you something. Uh, I am just the other day, a couple of days ago, I said to my wife, I said, you know something? I can't believe how large the writing community is. See, I've never been. I've I've never been a reader. I, I'm not bragging. I'm not. I'm, you know, actually, it's a confession. You know, I read National Geographic. I read, uh, you know, some, uh, well, not a whole lot. And and I don't read novels, you know, period. Uh, but I am a storyteller. I always have been that. And uh, so uh, uh, what I found in this community is that there's a huge community of poets. I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, when I joined uh, Lit Cleveland, there were just people everywhere writing and all kinds of poetry and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction and people getting published or not published. And and uh, anyway, I felt like uh, just a, like I'm a little speck now, you know, in the writing community. But uh, uh, especially with uh, Ray McNeese, he and John Burroughs and Renee Sanders, their their poetry is what really inspired me. Uh, but it's the um, it's the prophet, Mr. Ray McNeese, whom uh, I follow and have learned to uh, speak publicly and how to perform. I uh, just mimic him and, and then do it in my own style. Yeah, no, that's that's true. If you want to if you want to perform your poetry, Ray is one of the best to follow on that. He's a he's a great he's a great performance mentor. He's a great poet, too, obviously. Um, it, I love his work. Um, actually, you're working with him on the Poem for Cleveland project. And so he talk about how that's going and, and what your involvement is. Well, uh, Ray, of course, got that huge grant from the American Poetry Association last year. Uh, 50 big ones. I mean, he announced that publicly of which part of that, a percentage of that, he has to, I guess, return to the public in the form of uh, publication and programs. So he decided to do a poem for Cleveland uh, for the elderly. And began, I think it began in September or something like that. And I've been to nearly every one of the meetings and he does two, three or four of them in the libraries around uh, the Cleveland area every month. And I uh, have attended most of them. And I go to those because I love to hear his prompts and him, I like to hear him speak. And so uh, I get a lot of prompts from that. And I was encouraged to know that I could be published in, you know, in a, in a publication. And that's important for me. And now it's in Cleveland. And so instantly I had all these thoughts about Cleveland of what I could write about. And so that program overall is uh, is doing well. And I think Ray's a little overwhelmed with the amount of uh, poetry has been contributed that uh, he and Raja have to sort through, um, you know, to make the final cut for the publication in June. Sure, sure. And what what kind of stuff have you written about since you started? Well, I've written uh, the poems for Cleveland. I've written about um, Garrett Morgan uh, in 19, I believe 1915, when there was a fire in the salt mines uh, below Lake Erie. And he had a new form of 
breathing device, commonly uh, called a gas mask. Uh, I won't go into all that, but uh, he and his brother went down there and helped save a lot of men that were trapped down there. So Garrett Morgan is one. Uh, I wrote about, I have one here about the uh, uh, a Cleveland cold <laughs> uh, in 1950. So I wrote about uh, cold. Uh, written about Cleveland beers. I just uh, was down in Akron on Thursday and I wrote uh, Cleveland Brewskies uh, <laughs> about, uh, yeah, that's a nice venue down there at Jilly's. And uh, on the ghost of Public Square, uh, the Williamson building, when they came down in 1982, they imploded it. And um, there were others others as well. And uh, I just had a lot of fun uh, uh, putting those together. And that was, I wrote 10. I wrote 10. I think I overwhelmed, I think I overwhelmed the Ray. I guess he wasn't expecting that many, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, maybe, maybe I got one or, or two published. He's already mentioned that there's so many of them. And, uh, but, uh, I was on a roll and I love to write, right. You know, and I'm writing for my second book. So I've got like 64 poems written now I'm shooting for maybe like a hundred and so uh, it was a good opportunity to uh, build on uh, the content of the, my second book of poetry. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for your second book, is it, do you have a central theme? What, what are you, what are you going after for it? Well, uh, I don't have a theme uh, except that, um, you know, I have a degree in photography and I worked in the commercial studios in Hollywood where you that's uh, advertising is basically what it is. So it's product set up, models, uh, that type of thing. You have to you have to light the products, you know, with lights, spotlights, mini lights, floodlights, all kinds of things, natural light. And so it's the it's the imagery that uh, prompts me to write poetry because. I was in the photography business and I came back here. Well, I'm on both sidetrack with all that, but uh, after a while, I just uh, moved out of photography and moved into writing. And I'm doing the same thing. I, I simply took what I learned in photography, imagery, and made a lateral shift and using the English language to write new new imagery. Oh, that's so fascinating. You asked, so it could be anything. It, it, it could be anything I have. I have so many, so many subjects that I had to write up an index of uh, the general. Uh, uh, do, do, do you want me to give me a second? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> we'll play some elevator music over this part of the episode. Do, do, okay, do, let's do, do, see. Do, uh, oh, I won't need it. <laughs> this would be. I, I guess that this is. No one's ever asked me that, so uh, rather interesting. So here is uh, poems and lyrics by subject matter, beatnik, Cleveland, Ohio, countryside, death, disaster, doctors, dentists, dreams, drug abuse, family, folklore, food, poetic form, friendship, gratitude, haiku, holidays, humor, limericks, adult limericks, Light limericks, love, love forlorn, marriage, memoir, music, choir, music, lyrics, nature, pain, pandemic, poetry, praise, protest, racism, religion, scary, sex, 
sickness and death, travel, weather, and writing. So those are the subjects that I've written about. That's amazing. A muse for the ages. And, and you know, I've, I've, I don't want to ask, I don't want you to think that, um, you know, a book doesn't necessarily need a, a single unifying topic carrying it all the way through. I mean, Christine Howey just released a book. Um, she's a fantastic writer. She just released a book called I Have a Poem About That. And it's and on the cover of her book is literally like that, just a whole bunch of different topics that she covers, just plastered over it. It's a great book. I, um, <laughs> I'm not trying to push someone else's book on your podcast, but it just I'm, I'm relating it to it. Um, She's an amazing writer. Yes. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Um, But that's that's excellent. That's excellent. And so do you start how do you start writing your poetry then? Do you see an image like a photograph and then work from there in your head or do you have a topic you want to write about and you start with imagery because that's what comes naturally to you or, or what, what's your process like hmm. you know uh it's a combination uh probably one of two things um, first of all i have to be inspired right i gotta have inspiration uh the example is um I am a 1991 graduate of the Cuyahoga County Master Gardener Program. So some years after that, when I was writing poetry, I thought, hmm, what should I write about today? Oh, I write about gardening, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, okay, should I write about that animal that eats the plants or, you know, whatever. And I began to write a couple of verses, but, you know, Jeremy, it just went nowhere. <laughs> so I parked that little piece in my pending folder right i got about 35 unwritten poems in there right you know yeah, but they yeah. were all like sparks uh but didn't start a fire so but anyway it's a good place to go back and so uh years later i was searching for a, a subject and uh i went into that folder and there was uh the garden but my my thinking about writing poetry had changed and I wound up writing the, this is the first book of poetry that I've written. It's called afternoon tomatoes. And, and if you can't see that, well, anyway, um, I wrote it in iambic pentameter and uh, the poem turned out not to be about gardening. <laughs> although gardening was the vehicle right that i sure. used to write about uh, being married to a very lovely woman with nice tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's your vehicle i, I guess <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> but that's um, how that changes see i became inspired i began to actually what what happened is the iambic pentameter is what drove me to write this poem. I worked a veggie garden in the back behind my house, surrounded by a fence, etc. So I've got around uh, 25 verses and uh, had a lot of fun, a lot of fun writing that, you know. So the inspiration there was the poetic form. Yeah. Yeah, and then the idea came from the gardening. Well, and and you have you know to continue with the gardening metaphor. If your background is a fertilizer, you have a very rich 
you have very rich compost to add. You were you're a Hollywood photographer, master gardener. You worked in finance for over thirty years. You you have an eclectic mis, mix. Uh, you know, of back your background is is varied. How do those things contribute to your writing? Would you say? Well, I know that my insurance background has uh, uh, provided the training for me uh, to uh, express myself publicly in front of an open mic. And I've always uh, um, I've, I've always been uh, able to speak to people in public, strangers. Uh, but after 34 years of asking people to write me a check, right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and having to explain the you know, concepts of insurance and convince them, et cetera, uh, I, I began to uh, I began to write little uh, examples of how what coverage actually means to a customer. And I put it in very simple, accessible forms. So it's very understandable instead of all that insurance language but i had all the contracts in front of me all highlighted red dunces and times and i'd flip out a contract and i'd go to page 17 or something where something was under underlined and i would show them the actual verbiage written by lawyers right okay but it was all translated into uh everyday street life language so i use that um uh, that skill that I developed over 34 years uh, in performance. So when I met Ray McNeese, I thought, this is how to do it, Tim, you know, is to uh, stand up like, in the beginning, God made the firmament. <laughs> and then somewhere down God's timeline, God made tectonic plates. You know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is absolutely wild i've i've never heard i've I, this is a first for me i've never heard of anybody say insurance contracts prepared them to write poems <laughs> <laughs> so holy crap okay so you i mean you started writing a little later in life it was 2004 you attended uh, a, a conference it was cleveland state held this conference called the imagination writers conference um what started your interest in writing? Was it just that exercise where you're like, I enjoy well, writing this down? Or? It, it was um, it was the publication of this one volume, six, two book compilation of family genealogy and personal histories. It took me, when my child was, first child was born, I said to myself, I owe Corinne something. And so I decided to take on family genealogy. And it was just an amazing journey. So anyway, when it came down to publication, uh, I contacted a, a bookbinder here in Cleveland. I did all of the work except the hard book binding and the press on the front of the cover. Yeah, that, that designed it, pressed, you know, into the cover. Other than I did all the work. And um, so I went to the library and began to, out books and look page one blank page two oh title page page three oh copyright page began to make notes on how to assemble mine and then i realized like uh-oh acknowledgement page <laughs> you know how many people i spoke to and wrote to those are days before the computer it was all telephone and get in your car and go to the libraries it, it was a 
it was a literally a labor of love and I had it was great fun and I employed all my insurance skills uh, you know uh, in the insurance business you have to uh, run with leads so if you have a you know when I first trained they gave us index cards and say each card's worth five dollars so if you have a hundred of them times five that's five hundred dollars that's what it's worth right in front of you although you'll call 80 of them and they'll say no but the other 20 will buy their home and their auto their life da, 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 and all that kind of stuff so you add up all the premiums that from all those 20 that purchased divided by 100 and that came out to five dollars a card well that's how it how it works so the idea was never get discouraged when the first 80 people turn you down so you never get discouraged about writing your poetry. You may have some clunkers. You may have stuff that, you know, just doesn't work, but there's always going to be something that comes out of that. And so that's what happened. Uh, I got started with the uh, acknowledgments. I had to actually write two and a half pages, front and back, single space, acknowledgments to all the people and organizations that helped me out. And then when I finished, I was worried. So I said, Bessie, will you come in and sit while I read these pages to you? Because she's a reader. She's English major. And so, uh, God bless her, she sat there. Jeremy, she sat there and listened to me read. A week later, she signed me up for a, a class by a high school teacher in Huron, Ohio. You know, for 35 bucks on how, how, to, how to write a story. I said, Bessie, that's an hour away. And she just, just go ahead and do it. And she paid for the class. So, um, you know, that's uh, how I that's how I first got it started is uh, is through the acknowledgement pages where I actually had see all of that was by compiling information of genealogy. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would give credits to newspaper articles, all that stuff. So the only thing I really wrote were the acknowledgements. And then she recognized my. Uh, budding skill to write and then one thing led to another she said tim i looked up something on the web at cleveland state it's called the imagination i submitted got accepted and that was it off to the races oh my goodness so that's a fascinating story but also because i'm still stuck on this and on what what your insurance career gave you because not only did it give you the skills to stand up in front of a mic speak publicly to pare down information and focus on word economy, but it also helped you hear the word no and develop the kind of skin you need, because that's the thing that, <laughs> that's the thing that's hard at first, right? Is like, you send out your, you send out your work, you send it to like 30 different literary magazines, you hear back from three and you get rejected from all three. <laughs> you know, it's it, At first it's a very discouraging process and you were, you were prepared for it. Well, I employ the same uh, attitude uh, in, writing workshops interesting how so oh well you know i've just finished one back in september i finished finally finished my first manuscript had ninety-one thousand words i've since edited those ninety-one thousand eighteen times read through the whole thing okay every every time i read through i improve it so i don't get so all those bumps places those clutter where i have to rewrite they all turn into smooth words and paragraphs and thoughts and so each time i edit it's a higher level of edification so now i'm to the point where i'll pick up two or three funny words in four pages 
and I can correct those. And okay, <laughs> so um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Where were we? Uh, oh, uh, workshops. So um, yeah, I went to go to these workshops. So here's here's a class uh, workshop that is uh, editing uh, is uh, workshopping three thousand words. You know, right in the middle of a novel. Right. And they say, uh, you know, Tim, you've got this this lady in a red dress. You know, that is awful. Man, that should never be. Do you know what that means for a woman to wear a red dress? You know, what they're saying is uh, they they disapprove. Sure. Because right? sure. in the workshops, we ask people their opinion. Yeah. So I accept them. And I've realized that they don't know the rest of the story. And though there's a lot of good stuff, Dr. Chandler said, I said, Dr. Chandler, there's 32 people in this class. This is the first class. And uh, what do I do with these people that say, Tim, don't put a red dress on that character. He says, well, Tim, you throw out about 70% of everything that you get. <laughs> and of the, of the uh, 30% of the uh, two thirds of that, you entertain, you, you think about 10% you actually make the changes. And the other thing is, if you get two or three or four people that all say the same thing, immediately you, you cut that out or you rewrite it. So I learned to I, I learned to accept the no from the workshop people. Like, uh, so I was able to continue my work without being discouraged. Yeah, and that's God, that's such an important skill. Um, and, and you, so you started, so you, so you started, you get, you get drawn into this writing conference and you start taking classes on storytelling. At what point did you get into poetry? Well, you know, I've always, um, not always, uh, first poem I wrote was in eighth grade of silly old little limerick, but it was, there once was a lot of old people who threw rocks at birds in the steeple. Not a bird got hurt because they were very, very alert. And I never miss eating spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then when I was in the 11th grade, uh, we had to do reciting, doing some poetry, is when I met the writing of Mr. Robert Service, The Cremation of Sam McGee. Mm. There are strange things done in the midnight sun, by the men who moil for gold, the Arctic trails hold their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest I ever did see was the night on the marge of Lake Labarge. I cremated Sam McGee. So I, I read that and I was married to poetry, right? To that rhythm, to that rhyme scheme. You know, yeah. in fact, I wrote one. We were up there in Alaska and I wrote uh, that same kind of thing. It's called Alaska and had to do with, uh, you know, the cold up there. And my preference for not being cold is <laughs> basically uh, <laughs> is how that poem ended. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, I've always known you to be a fastidious writer and editor. Uh, like I, I saw, you know, the, the manuscript for your mo most recent novel and I mean, I'm sure Office Max and the people who make post-it notes and highlighters thank you because you, you've got everything tabbed and every little piece marked. Um, how does that how does that factor into poetry? Is it 
is it just a natural extension of that or does it manifest in other ways uh it's a natural extension it's just of a, a horse of a different color uh in other words uh my poetry you know has to have um craig craig webb in one of my uh, uh skyland work class uh, workshop is a uh uh, has a degree in uh, theater. And so he, when he writes his uh, fictional stuff, uh, instantly I noticed he has a middle, uh, a beginning, a middle and an end, right? Like act one, two, and three. And so I thought, ah, see, I, I, so that's what I do with my poetry. Uh, I, I bring it to an end. And so when I read the poetry, I have to have a, uh, uh, the best metaphors I heard from somebody is uh, you build the skyscraper, right? Under stories, and you have the I beams, right? All little squares, and you have to build that first. Then you hang the siding on it and do the finishing work. So you got to have structure in your poetry. In other words, you have to, you got to bring it to an end. You know, it's got to have a message. Otherwise, a poet, I am not. <laughs> when you, how do you know that you have reached your message? Is there something, is it like a gut feeling or is it more deliberate than that? Because sometimes I kind of feel like when I'm writing a poem, it, it feels like a conclusion, even though sometimes I struggle to, maybe that's not a great thing, but, but I struggle to articulate what that conclusion is, although I know I feel satisfied when I get to the end. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm careful not to feel satisfied because I think that I think that I've done it. Okay. okay yeah. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for Tim. You know, okay. I have to have something that uh, works. It's like taking the arrow with the bow and you can do all this, you can do the aim, and you can let the arrow go and uh, do all that, and the arrow misses the target. So uh, I'm not saying that everything I write uh, hits the target, but I can tell you this much. If I finish something where I'm satisfied with it, Jeremy, I will go back and read that poem maybe 55 times out loud in my living room, out on the porch. Uh, I just have to do it that way because it has to come out orally because that's the way I think. So every time I come up and read it again, I say, oh, it's I, the wrong article. Instead of an A, it's got to be an and. Or, oh, too many syllables. I thought it worked yesterday, but it doesn't work today. And then when I read it out loud, suddenly it's coming right, right out of my head, not reading up off the page, but coming out of my head through my mouth as I read the words. So I call that the polishing, the, the, the polishing uh, point of uh, my work. So you, you write well, you write well, edit wisely. Yeah. And, and I think that's the performer in you, you know, just, just the saying it out loud over and over again until it fits your voice. I, I personally can't do that when I'm, when I'm writing the poem for the first time, or I'm like editing, sometimes I'll edit it for sound and flow, but I don't speak it out loud for anything other than that, because 
if I get into that like obsessive state, which I do, I do that sometimes. But when I do that, I I'm afraid of breaking it. You know what I mean? Or looking at it so closely that I lose perspective. And if I if I am worried that a poem's not working, I just throw it into a proverbial drawer and then come back a few months later when I've forgotten what I was trying to look at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um that that's 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 cool that you do that. And and do you ever do you ever write for sound over content? Like you're you know, you get a piece and you you think, wow, this is gonna sound really good in front of a microphone. I'm gonna lean into that instead of what I was trying to do at first. Good, good question. Uh primarily I write for rhythm. Okay. It's pretty much the definition of Tim. Okay. So, uh that's uh where I wind up. Now I don't start off by saying I've got rhythm, I've got music, I'm gonna write something that da, da, da. okay. Although I have more <laughs> I, I, I have one for uh I was uh in Berlin and uh having trouble with the bus lines. And everything's in German, of course, and all these buses are going all around town. And we wanted to take some, we wanted to go somewhere, we'd get on the wrong bus, and we'd have to go to the end of the line, get off, and get, get back on two blocks later, pay the fare again, you know. So, uh, but talk about rhythm. Well, while we, while we were there, the, uh, the song from uh, My Fair Lady on the Street Where You Live was going on in my head for two days. Oh. You know, <laughs> it was just there. You know, I just, I'm very musical that way. And so uh, we would get lost from this, you know, on these bus rides, okay? Or I would, because I was the one that was doing. So <laughs> this music going on in my head and it all came to me. So this is called From a Bus in Berlin. I have never seen such a bustling town where so many buses start and stop around the town. So confused am I, buses pass me by as I try to translate German signs. <laughs> Berlin passerbys, they just look at me as I try to understand the signs in front of me. Though they're hard to read, somehow I succeed to get lost searching for the right line. And oh, what a puzzling feeling, pondering where adventure will end. And so my emotions are reeling at any second desperation will appear. And yet somehow now I am not afraid out my window people passing in a long parade, building soaring high they're just flying by as I tour from a bus in Berlin. <laughs> Have you well, there's that, there's that sense of rhythm. I had that sense of rhythm. And then here's this crazy bus schedules and me getting lost. And so I got the spark. That's excellent. Have you ever uh, considered writing a musical? No, I don't have any uh, musical training background, except 20 years of uh, singing in choir, where I learned music, learned how to uh, read music, not well, but well enough to where I learned what the greatest thing I learned took me two years to unlearn singing flat. 
two years unlearning it. But finally, I learned to sing in the ensemble to where my notes were hitting everybody else's. So that's what I learned. Yeah, learned to follow notes a little bit too. Yeah, it's hard when you're trying to harmonize with a bunch of other people and you don't have a ton of musical training because. I took like voice and piano lessons in college because uh, I was in theater. And um, anytime we had to do harmoni harmonies, I really struggled because I would slide to whoever's voice was closest to me or the loudest, you know, <laughs> and it was hard to stay where I was supposed to be. Oh, Jeremy, I often sang. I would wander into the soprano, uh, into the alto section. <laughs> I don't mean walk my note. You know, one day I said to, to, to Richard, I said, Richard, was I singing the wrong note? And he laughed because he's trained. He laughed. Ah, says, <laughs> you were singing with the altos. He says, but you were, you were, you were in the, um, the chord. So since I was in the chord, nobody noticed. If that, every, <laughs> anybody else that has the training will know that Tim is not, is not a baritone. He wasn't singing in the baritone. He was singing the alto section. But boy, I thought I was a baritone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so this, this is, that, that leads me to another question. And this is probably an unfair, you probably don't have a black and white answer to this. But for Tim Richards, is it more about image or is it more about rhythm? I'm sure those are like super interconnected, but I'm curious. They are married. They're, they are married together. It's uh, the image uh, with, and then uh, I get to add with uh, some of the, some of the quote, uh, uh, rhyme. I get to go in with a rhyme. Uh, what I really learned from Ray McNeese uh, besides uh, performance is uh, it's okay to write uh, open verse, free verse. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, and and I know that's where all the accomplished uh, today's uh, to today's poets uh, are the free verse. I, I had to, to uh, in response to what some say, somebody criticized me two two months in a row about my rhyming, and I finally had to write a response to him. Uh, and uh, I referred to uh, poets from a century ago. I did nothing but rhyme. But today it's uh, uh, free verse. And so, uh, uh, you know, I'm ha happy to say that I've actually written uh, some uh, successful poems uh, that are free verse, including even Brewski's. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Um, you have a really good, your writing has a really good connection to, or I guess I guess you are tapped into Cleveland and the Great Lakes region because your writing reflects it like crazy. Um, it's you have this poem, "I Became Ohio Country," and you have this Wordsworthian account of driving through the countryside and what you're seeing. It it reminds me of like I wandered as lonely as a cloud or something, you know. And um, I'm wondering where that love comes from. And when when you sit down and you're trying to write about your obvious love for the locality, what what sticks out to you? What are you trying to capture? Uh, in that particular poem, it was see, uh, let's see. On the Ides of March, the bars closed down. Death came to collect all debts. So that's the opening verse for Pandemic that I wrote. Uh, but that was in March. So around May, my because we're all in quarantine, my wife and I said, come on, let's go for a ride in the country. So she drove. And the roads were empty, so to speak. And we drove out to the farmlands. And I, it was so quiet. 
there was no cars out there at all in the farmlands. It just wasn't. And so I pulled a little piece of paper out of the glove compartment and I began to write down things I saw, you know, little tiny words because I ran, I didn't have any paper to write on, you know. So I would say, oh, broken barn door. Oh, you know, and then here's here's the roadway going up and down this gentle Ohio hills. Here's the yellow line or the white line going with it, you know. And I just saw that, and I just wrote all those little uh, singular words down, maybe twenty five words, came right home. And I believe um, I don't know if there's a rhyme uh, rhyming in that, but um, that's where that one came from. Uh, it was the it was the Ohio, I became Ohio country. I became part of what I saw. Complete immersion. That's very cool. All right. Um, would you like to wrap us up with a poem, please? Oh, sure. Um, do do want to mention uh, just very briefly, you know, I was in the photography business. So I, I wrote this poem and that's me when I was 27. And this is my studio where I lived. And, and I decided one day that I would, I'll just be very brief with this one, then I'll read the phone. I am the eye of the camera. Because you talk about imagery, right? So I am the proton streaming, casting shadows. I am the lens and aperture creating depth of field. I am edge to edge sharpness, Zeiss on Hasselblad heady days when I went to the moon. So that was my homage to photography. So um, here's what I'll do. Uh, oh, I do want to mention this. Um, do you mind if I just put one paragraph from my manuscript? No, not at all. Feel free okay. to share. Okay. Yeah. It's just a short paragraph. Uh, Tony is drunk the night before. This is about abuse. And so he's drunk the night before and a couple of guys prank him and they take him over to an abandoned foundry. He's so drunk and they drop him off over there. Okay. He wakes up in the morning. He doesn't know where he is. Okay. And this is him waking up on Sunday morning. At the break of dawn, Tony groaned awake. He opened his eyes to eye beam crisscrossing the ceiling and smelled the old corroded metal of industry abandoned to the elements. He turned his head to one side and looked, as, and looked at the far end of the open bay where an overhead crane designed for heavy lifting loomed above a molten metal ladle, now cold and rusted. When Tony rolled onto his side and propped himself up, he felt the sharp pain of abrasion on his elbow, a bad scrape embedded with industrial dirt and particles from the concrete floor. He brushed off the abrasion as best he could and looked around. So let's see, opening a few lines from uh, the, the one particular chapter, I do it by days. And uh, just want to give a plug that. So um, now we were at one, of, I was at one of the prompts with Ray McNeese. And so he said, let's do, you know, people would say, okay, what if they would write down the words, you know, they say Cleveland, and you draw the line, you say, oh, all these, what do you call that? Scatterbraining, you know what I mean? Uh, where you write all this stuff out. And so uh, the one thing was on weather. So I wrote out the prompt and then we read it 20 minutes later. And then uh, Ray, X-Ray Ray, right? You know, he reads, reads the, the brief draft or I spoke it, you know, 
and instantly he knew what it what it lacked. And he says, Tim, you got to put the milkman in there. Got to put the man delivering the milk in there. So I thought, all right. I wrote Cleveland Deep Freeze. It's minus three degrees below on December 27, sub-zero 1950 settles in and sets the record on that day when unhomogenized frozen tubes of cream protrude from bottles on the porch and pop off paper bottle caps that seal the frozen milk inside. The boxy-looking delivery truck with a stick-shift floor transmission strains against the heavy load as it grinds its way through the blowing snow, screeching in a howling wind that sweeps across Lake Erie. Low to the ground, the milk truck sits with its stand-up sliding door so the driver dressed in winter white can easily step straight out of the truck with a metal carrier rack in hand to deliver the morning milk. Plodding on, the milkman steps, then stepping yet another, leaning low against the blow. His shoulders shudder as he shoulders in at minus three below. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Well done. Thank you for sharing so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. This has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Tim, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, uh, Jeremy Jusek, for your invitation. Mm-hmm.